0: Welcome to Westside Unscripted, the podcast where pastors loosen their ties, throw away their notes, and answer questions about all things theology and culture. I am Josh Bartels, assistant to the pastors here at Westside Baptist Church, joined as usual by Pastor Peter Montoro, our preaching pastor. And uh, you've brought you've brought a few books with you today. So I what have. what are, what, uh, what have you been reading? What are you going to recommend? Well, for a long, long
1: time. I've been reading this big book that you can't see, but Josh can see it. It is called Against Heresies by uh, Irenaeus of Lyon, uh, who was a Christian bishop in the uh, late second century. Uh, So, uh, The last quarter of the second century uh, was most likely when the book came out. We don't know exactly when it was written. Uh, And it is a really big book that I've spent a long, long time reading. It's 600 pages of fine print or so. Uh, But I'm going to read one paragraph to you and then uh, recommend some shorter books in a similar genre. So this book is basically written. There were these Gnostic heretics, lots of Gnostic heretics, and other groups that were sort of not Gnostics but aligned to the Gnostics like uh, the Marcionites uh, and other groups like that, um, who really uh, troubled the early church in the second, third century. They were a major, major problem. and so Irenaeus wrote this book to respond to them, and he has this really memorable paragraph describing uh, what these false teachers were up to, and it really is very similar to what we see uh, in sort of uh, cultic groups in our day, uh, like Jehovah's Witnesses, or Mormons, um, or the followers of Sun Young Moon, and a lot of similar sort of groups. It, there's a lot of analogies uh, with what the Gnostics did, but he describes uh, describes what they did. Their manner of acting is just as if one, when a beautiful image of a king has been constructed by some skillful artist out of precious jewels, should then take this likeness of the man all to pieces, should rearrange the gems, and so fit them together as to make them into the form of a dog or of a fox, and even that but poorly executed, and should then maintain and declare that this was the beautiful image of the king, which the skillful artist constructed, Pointing to the jewels which had been admirably fitted together by the first artist to form the image of the king, but have been with bad effect transferred by the latter one to the shape of a dog, and by thus exhibiting the jewels should deceive the ignorant who had no conception what a king's form was like, and persuade them that the miserable likeness of the fox was in fact the beautiful image of the king." In like manner do these persons patch together old wives' fables and then endeavor by violently drawing away from their proper connection words, expressions, and parables whenever found to adapt the oracles of God to their baseless fictions. And basically the point that Irenaeus is making is that even though these heretics may have great knowledge of the scriptures, they miss the picture, the picture of Christ uh, that the scriptures portray. And so they're missing the overall point, even though they may be using a lot of scriptural expressions, uh, they're putting the picture together wrong. And it's a picture in their own mind, not the picture that God had in mind, uh, and therefore we should reject. And he goes painful detail by painful detail um, to really respond to these. And uh, really, his work uh, had a big influence in the early church um, to push back. And the church did not succumb in the long run to the Gnostic heresies. And uh, I'm not necessarily recommending that everyone go out and get this book. I mean, I've been working on it for months and months, and I'm supposed to be, you know, getting a a PhD in this related area. But there are some much easier reads— of uh, early Christian writings. Uh, One of them that I wanted to recommend uh, is in our library or in our bookstore. Do we have it in the
0: library too? I believe it is.
1: It's in both. So we have a copy you can buy and a copy you can borrow. There is Christian biographies for young readers uh, and there's a biography of Irenaeus of Leon that has a children's uh, summary, and even if you're not a child, you could still benefit from it uh, of the summer of the content of Against Heresies. Uh, so, if you want to get a sense of the big picture uh, and uh, some more background on what the Church was like in the second century, I'd recommend this uh, to you. Uh, and then also, uh, I think there's a benefit. Not everyone, you know, is going to have the desire to slog through an old-fashioned translation <laughs> of an epically long work like that. Uh, but um, there is a benefit to reading really old books. Uh, And uh, C.S. Lewis uh, memorably put it that it's not like people in time past didn't make mistakes. It's just that they didn't make the same mistakes. Their mistakes were different. They didn't make our mistakes. And so it's a really good way of sort of, pardon me, sort of shaking us up a bit. And uh, letting it, uh, you know, helping us to see the things that have stayed the same, the things that have changed, and uh, the things maybe that we're assuming that have always been the case for all Christians everywhere that have not always been the case. Uh, And, you know, Irenaeus, you know, for example, gets some, you know, plenty of things wrong. And sometimes it's like, what in the world was he thinking and saying that? And other times it's like, oh my goodness, that is so beautiful. I can't believe how astonishingly, (laughs) you know, uh, how clear that is or how lovely that is or how full of the spirit that is. but another book, one that's a much easier intro if you want to get started uh, on uh, reading old books or books from the early church, is uh, one by Athanasius on the incarnation. And uh, certainly, we wouldn't agree with Athanasius on everything, but on the incarnation is just a a really, it's a really beautiful read about uh, you know just the important. I mean, it's on the incarnation, why the incarnation was necessary. It's a short book. Uh, the copy I'm holding here. Uh, Is about 110 pages, including the introduction, uh, and it has a preface by C.S. Lewis. In that fact, quote. I
0: believe that that quote comes from it that does. preface, Does it does doesn't it? it does Yeah. yeah.
1: And so, uh, it's if you want to uh, get a start in reading some books from the early church, it's a really good place to start, and uh, might raise some good questions, and you can then raise those questions <laughs> for the podcast. But yeah. just uh, you know, a recommendation. That's a benefit of you know reading stuff that's very foreign to us and yeah. very old, uh, and yet that's part of our story, part of how, you know, Irenaeus in God's providence was used to stem the flow of the Gnostics who were stealing converts from Christianity um, at a very crucial time, and yeah. so, and Athanasius was used to uh, fight for the doctrine of the Trinity at a time when a good portion, even the majority of the church in the East was willing to give it up, uh, and Athanasius was not, and he fought, and he fought, he wasn't alone, uh, but Uh, He really uh, fought to help bring unity and clarity and was used providentially by God to keep the church from sliding into Arianism in the 4th century, and by God's grace, if we're faithful to him, we can be used by God to stop the church in America from sliding uh, into the heresies that we face today. And of course, we talk about those on a regular basis. So we'll we'll, we'll make the podcast too long if we talk about all the challenges the church is facing in our day. Uh, But that's just uh, what I wanted to mention.
0: The uh, lens of these older writers can help us see more clearly where the lines actually are in our day or see places where we've transgressed the line that we need to get back to. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's good. Have you read this on the incarnation? I have. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, it was it was really helpful. I was recommended uh, to do it around a Christmas time one year. Uh, someone on a podcast recommended that uh, people read that around Christmas time, so I did and uh, found it found it very helpful. I am almost done. It's really a sh- it's a short book, but I've been working through it
1: in Greek with a friend. And we've been doing it so slowly, though, that we are year, like, it's only like 50 pages in English, (laughs) but we're working through it so slowly because we end up talking about what we're reading and talking about what we're not reading uh, or other things that we're reading. (laughs) We only read a few lines, (laughs) a few lines a week, (laughs) but we've been working uh, through it for a very long time and it's been enormously beneficial to just wrestle with his arguments, wrestle with the use of scripture and just... It's been a really rich and <laughs> <Good>. <laughs> I mean, I've mean i hopelessly lost the flow of argument, but, you know, really interacting at a deep level with the with the logic and the use of scripture and what maybe he's arguing against what's being left unsaid. All of those things has been a really rewarding experience.
0: Yeah, that's cool. It's a good it's a good book. It's in the bookstore. So go it's in the bookstore. Find your copy there. It. Yeah. So today's question uh, is kind of a practical Christian life question again. Uh, here, here we go. It's commonly taught that to say you're supposed to say the magic words, I'm sorry, when you sin against someone else. But what does the Bible teach us to do? Does the Bible even talk about saying you're sorry? And where did this kind of approach to dealing with sin come from?
1: Yeah. What do you think? I'd need to look up specific passages to sort of, you know, reference specific verses because I'm not thinking of them, but I could give a broad brush uh, sort of response. And this is what I would say. That uh to say I'm sorry is ultimately an expression of I feel bad about something. You could feel bad about a lot of things. You know, if you stub your toe, I can say, I'm sorry, you stub your toe, right? You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm really sorry that happened to you. I'm not, uh, you know, now maybe right. if I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I put that chair there. Yeah, but, if I put the yeah. chair in the way, you know, then then I might, you know, also have culpability. But I'm not admitting culpability by saying I'm sorry that something happened. Now it could be that, um, You know, you both feel bad about it and you're wrong, right? Um, Or you're wrong and don't feel bad about it. That's another possibility, (laughs) right? But I think there's two things that are going on, right? One is what I did was wrong and I'm seeking forgiveness. One is what happened to you was bad and I feel bad about it. Um, Because you could do something that's wrong that doesn't make the other person feel bad, right? Mm -hmm. So it could be, hey, I gave you, you know, so an example could be um, I spoiled you As a child, right? Not that that's not really going on in in my house, or probably most of our houses. But you know, if you have maybe a very wealthy parent who spoils their child and gives them everything and doesn't make them work, right? Then the child has been spoiled, right? They've not been, you know, they're not upset about it. They don't, they don't perceive that they've been harmed. But in retrospect, you see that you sinned against them by not forcing them how to work. So you know, the person doesn't really feel like anything bad has happened, but actually. Sin against them has been committed by failing to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. You know, for instance. Um, so I think there's two, sort of two things. So I guess I'll give my personal practice. Here's what I do uh, when someone, you know, when I, I may often add, sorry, you know, like, hey, I was wrong, I'm sorry. But ultimately, like, if I feel like I've wronged someone, then I ask them for forgiveness. What I did was wrong. I sinned against you, um, and I'm sorry because that, that, that's appropriate as well, will you forgive me? But I don't ask for forgiveness for something that I don't see as sinful because that would be saying something that's untrue, which would itself be a sin. Um, and there are lots of things we can do that we're sorry it turned out that way, you know? Or there could be things that we didn't intend to cause harm, but we failed to take appropriate precautions, in which case asking, you know, so if you're if you're speeding <laughs> and you hit something, you know, or create damage to a vehicle or whatever, uh, you didn't intend to do that, but you still didn't, and this is something, you know, I talk to my kids about all the time, it's not enough to not intend to cause harm, you need to intend, you, you need to intend positively, you need to take the steps necessary to not cause that, you know. So it's not enough, to, it's not enough that you weren't meaning to ignore us, right? You need to actually be paying attention so that you don't ignore us, regardless of what your intentions are. Um, and so then that's appropriate to, so I am sort of going around in circles, but yeah. the—I mean, but basically, I think there's a distinction between when we do something that's wrong, and when someone feels something that they they feel as an injury. Yeah. So it's appropriate. There are many times it's appropriate to say that you're sorry, where it's not appropriate to ask for forgiveness. Yeah. But if it's appropriate to ask for forgiveness, it's not
0: enough to say that you're sorry. Right. And the and the ask, so there's two components then of what you're saying. One of them is confessing the wrongdoing. And the other one is seeking the forgiveness. Are those two things separate in your mind? Or is that is that the same thing? The confession of a wrongdoing being the... Would there be a situation where someone would confess and not seek the forgiveness of someone else? I mean, I kind of... I can't really... Th- can't imagine one. I guess they'd kind of be, go as a pair. I can imagine
1: a situation where the, where the wrong has been so grievous that it's forgiveness may be offered but can't be asked for mm-hmm. you know so where you've committed a serious wrong and you're like will you forgive me will you forgive me right you know that it's it's appropriate that yeah. forgiveness be extended but it has to be extended because the breach is so great that it's almost obscene to be demanding to, immediate to forgiveness. forgiveness yeah yeah um in in a way that like you know where there's no ato- where that that I've definitely seen situations like that. And that's even something where I've, you know, talked to my kids like you, you correct them on something and then immediately without any time for the ramifications of what they've done, especially if it's something more serious where they've, you know, harmed one of their siblings or whatever, will you forgive me? And it's like, there needs to be some more contrition (laughs) before it's appropriate to demand that someone immediately respond with, yes, of course I forgive you. Now, of course we should be willing to forgive, but there has to be a feeling of the, you know, the gravity of right. what's been done. If if what's been done and is,
0: and that's really kind of an, a sense of uh, what is the does the person who is seeking the forgiveness understand the the gravity or the the importance of the situation that they just messed up that they that the, the part of confessing one sin is not just saying I did wrong, but genuinely understanding that it was wrong and the impact that that wrong had on the other person so that, so that there'd be a, there'd be a point at which, okay, I, you know, Oh, listen, I said, I was going to open the door for you and I didn't. And now you struggled at the door, trying to unlock the door and get in, you know, something like that minor inconvenience. Whereas something where I've really seriously hurt you, uh, I've slandered against you or I have uh, done something to harm you. And there, and so there, there would then be not necessarily the desire for immediate forgiveness or not that not that not that there wouldn't be a desire but that it would be inappropriate to a confession of that wrongdoing to immediately expect the other person to forgive is that what you're saying yeah it would just be it would be an inappropriate to demand it yeah sure you know to yeah.
1: have that expectation of as soon as the words are out of my mouth before the gravity of what's even confessed is even mm-hmm. sunk in you know you know so like i you, you know, it's sort of like, you know, the, the the archetypical situation would be, you know, I just killed your family. Will you forgive me? It was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you know what oh, I'm yeah. Like that. Oh,
0: yeah, that is a commandment. Though. Bible <laughs> says you have to forgive. Bible <laughs> says
1: you have to forgive. All right, are you going to forgive me? And it's like, I don't think you realize what you just did. Yeah, right. You know, that, yes, we ought to we ought to be really I'm not at all saying it's appropriate to withhold forgiveness, but there is repentance that precedes forgiveness.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the greater the sin, the greater repentance is needed. It's not that we earn forgiveness by our repentance,
0: but we have to acknowledge what we've actually done. Yeah. I mean, the, so a good Jesus tells the sto- parable of the prodigal son and he comes back and he has the let me into your servant's quarters, not forgive me and welcome me back into your right. sonship. You know, then the father extends radical mm-hmm. forgiveness and brings him into fellowship once again he doesn't just sort of like you know do all of that and say well
1: you know he doesn't come back with a haughty speech yeah right and i think that's something that the sort of the sort of pride that leads us to think we can get away with very serious sin is the same sort of pride that would lead us to demand immediate full restoration to all privileges and it's a sign that the repentance is not genuine yeah you know when you expect there to be no damage to the relationship and you just want things to carry on completely normal. It's just, it's a sign, not that you haven't, you know, suffered enough, but that you haven't repented because you haven't understood what it is you're turning from.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's, it's still a sign of that inward turn self-centeredness that you care more about the consequences to yourself than what you've done to someone else, which means you haven't really underst- understood what's going on.
0: Yeah. So then the confession of sin rings pretty hollow because it's right. really questioning. Do you actually understand what you've done? Right. And that's, that's, I think that would, that would
1: be the, that would be the distinction of really, you know, owning it is more than, oh, I'm sorry. And then just sort of passing on of really weighing the gravity and not all sins are very, you know, not, not everything is equally, you know, grievous. Mm -hmm. Like you said, there could be a door or it could be, oh man, it could even just be an absent-mindedness, you know? So if I forget something, I'll feel sorry (laughs) about it, but I may not ask for forget, you know, if was like, oh man, I meant to, meant to make coffee for you this morning and I just, ran out of time. I'm sorry. Or I forgot, <laughs> you know, that's not a huge deal. Um, but yeah. And but,
0: there can be, I think there could be times too, where just because I'm sorry is so the term I'm sorry, I'm sorry is so, uh, prevalent that someone could, so someone's done wrong to someone else and they come and I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me that the, I'm sorry is functioning as an admission of the sin. So it's not, so, so we should be careful with our language, and try yeah, to help our like, language reflect language. It. Yeah, it's not like yeah. I'm sorry is just never going to cut it, and you've got to have the right sequence of uh, sequence yeah, of language. Yeah, yeah, it's not
1: it's not like a it's not a ritual or anything. It's mm. just it's more of a heart thing. I think it's important to distinguish, you know, so that when we've actually sinned against someone, yeah, I'm sorry that I I'm sorry if you felt hurt does not cut it as right as an apology. Yeah, yeah. but when you're convinced that you didn't sin against someone then it is appropriate to say, I'm sorry you feel that way. Yeah, <laughs> you right. know? So actually, you know, if, if you are actually sorry, they feel that way. <laughs> right. I mean, that's, there are times and that's appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's not appropriate to sort of, you know, and just, and this is really relevant in our culture where like everyone has to grovel, like groveling where you have not sinned is telling a lie about the situation. Yeah. And right. you shouldn't do that. So yeah, definitely.
0: Well, this has been another episode of West side unscripted in which we have uh and tackle the question from one of you. And if you have a question that you would like to ask Pastor Peter uh, and uh, get his thoughts on, you can send those to Josh at Bible Direction for Life, and we will queue those up in the episode list and uh, get to them at some point. Uh, So send those on, or you can, of course, always let me know at church. And this has been another episode of Westside Unscripted. Thank you so much for listening and being with us again this week, and we will uh, be with you next time on Westside Unscripted.